Welcome into another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Long and Josh Goldberg with you. The first podcast of the new year, 2023, as we are just a few weeks. I was going to say a few months, but it's really just a few weeks, Josh, before the baseball season gets going. Uh, always is the case after uh, the holidays and new year that uh, the calendar flips and all of a sudden, yeah, spring training is almost here. And the Blue Jays have been busy, of course. I know you did. A solo pod talking about uh, the Chris Bassett deal, Kevin Kiermeyer as well. And uh, that really got the ball rolling, of course, as the uh, Blue Jays have since made an even bigger deal. And that, of course, is the acquisition of Dalton Varsho. We will get into that. We'll talk about maybe some other free agent targets that the Blue Jays may be looking at. We'll answer your Twitter questions as well. As always, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod, at Goldberg 12 and at Rob Wong 34 But I will kick it off to you first. It's uh, been a couple of uh, you know, weeks now, I guess, since the Dalton Varsho deal, you've had a lot of time to take it all in. Uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, the first few days you were uh, definitely trying to dissect how you felt about it. But now that we've had some time to breathe, where do you ultimately land on it? Well, I think it's bold. It's a bold move. And, um, you know, I think at times this front office has been criticized for, Maybe being, you know, gun shy when it comes to making the types of moves that will rock the boat and really change the equation and, and just the whole vibe of your clubhouse. And this offseason has been transformative in that regard. Like Teoscar Hernandez, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. are gone. Those are two relative linchpins of the culture and clubhouse and and uh, just the two characters who have really come to be defined of this current era of Blue Jays baseball. And maybe we shouldn't be that surprised that they're gone because, you know, the way that the season ended, both of their respective lapses, let's call them defensively at times, both are going to be free agents following the 2023 season. It shouldn't be earth shattering news. I, I think, you know, Varsho makes a lot of sense as a fit because it seems like they're clearly prioritizing run prevention uh, as much as run creation. Like they'll still be able to score runs. I don't think they're as good of an offensive club as they were last year, but I don't think they're going to bottom out because they have Kevin Kiermeyer and, you know, Dalton Varsho in their lineup. You factor in some guys having some better seasons that struggled relatively speaking last year. Uh, and that can offset some of the bite taken out of the lineup, especially in the case of Teoscar and also to an extent of Lourdes. Um, you know, I'm not shocked that they traded Moreno. I thought it was more likely to be Jansen, but considering they're in a just they're they need to win right now. Like we're talking two, three years. Moreno, I think, is just not that likely in the next two seasons to emerge as an all-star catcher. Maybe it happens, but I wouldn't bet on it. Like a lot needs to happen for that to come to fruition. And I just think Varsho makes you a better team for the immediate future of the next two years, let's say it, which is really like the Blue Jays to me have a three-year window, three, four-year window, let's call it. But I really look at three seasons as their window. And Varsho, I think, gives them more than Moreno would, considering the rest of the catching picture. So like, there's definitely a possibility that it blows up and it's a disaster. We could have this conversation in five years and say, you know, what the fuck were they thinking? But I think right now, um, as we stand here entering 2023, 
you know, it's a big swing, but I can understand the rationale behind it. And I think it's uh, a reasonable move to have made. Yeah, I think it's a situation where you got a guy who really only burst onto the scene the the last couple of seasons at the major league level, and uh, he's still a relatively you know young player uh, in the MLB. He's only played 283 career games um, at the major league level. He's you know heading into a stage 26 season, uh, of course, uh, just turned 26 actually back in July. So um, you know you've got a situation here where he's a bit of an unknown for a lot of Blue Jays fans and a lot of people. Um, you know. He is a hardcore, nerdy baseball uh, fan type of guy. I mean, a lot of people around, you know, Blue Jays Twitter were definitely banging the drum for a guy like him. But I'm sure you heard it from people um, that are friends of yours, others as well, that were like, who is Dalton Varsho? Like, is this a yeah. good trade for the Blue Jays? Like, I've never heard of this guy. Uh, but if you watch baseball, uh, if you know anything about the major leagues and you're uh, pretty well versed in it, you definitely know uh, who this guy is. But you know, I think that's was sort of the the PR thing that worked against here for the Blue Jays that they gave up, you know, known commodities and Lourdes Gurriel yeah. Jr., you know, Gabby Moreno's uh, top prospect was at one point the number one prospect in all of baseball for like a few weeks <laughs> before um, things changed uh, for him. But, uh, you know, Varsho is legit. And, and the one thing that is going to play is his glove. Sure, it's a little bit, you know, wasted uh, in left field, but he's going to get his fair share of time uh, in center fields that uh, may even get some starts behind the plate. I think the only way he ends up there is if Danny Jansen and or Alejandro Kirk both get hurt like they did a year ago. And he's going to have to maybe spot start there for uh, a couple of weeks. But this guy's mainly going to play uh, in the outfield, going to get some DH days as well. Uh, but the glove is always going to play. Like, I, I think, you know, that is the one thing that you're banking on here. For me, it's is the offense going to continue to evolve? Because, you know, last year, um, on the whole, 106 WRC plus is, you know, solid. It's fine. Um, he got most of his war because he was an incredible defensive player in center field and right field. Hand hit lefties were the lick, uh, mostly a guy that mashes righties. The, you know, shift ban obviously is going to help him a lot. And I think that's probably, you know, part of the reason why the Blue Jays feel that there's more upside um, for him because he is a guy that's really pull happy. And with that, you know, maybe there's some more offensive potential to unlock. But, you know, a lot of this for me is just the fit, as you said, just really makes sense with his age, with his positional flexibility, you know, where he is on this, you know, curve right now. For this Blue Jays team, this three, you know, four year window, it's a guy with four years um, of control. And, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, you look at Gabby Moreno and the trade value that he had, you know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Not sure he had a ton of trade value because he's coming off that handmade bone uh, injury and the power is really sapped out of his bat last year. But, you know, when I kind of step back and I look at who the Blue Jays might have even been able to acquire for, you know, Gabby Moreno, just take. Gurriel Jr. out of the equation like you know I don't know if Brian Reynolds was going to be a fit there like I, the Pirates Scott Henry Davis uh, they clearly wanted a lot for Brian Reynolds you know like Corbin Burns or like a Pablo Lopez like is your team better off if you've got those guys instead of you know Dalton Varsho in this deal I mean maybe you can make the case your rotation is obviously um, a lot better it's just that's the thing. I, I don't know who out there as far as, you know, reasonable trade targets you were going to get for for this type of package. It's kind of impressive, actually, that the Blue Jays were able to get a center fielder uh, in his prime that still has some upside for uh, Moreno and Gurriel Jr. The thing about it is he's not going to play center field. And I would like the deal more 
uh, if you looked at him and said, you know, he's he's our center fielder. I just feel like, you know, the ability if if his offensive production is similar to what it was last year and he plays the majority of his uh, games in left field, his war is not going to be as high. I just don't think you can have as much impact um, from that perspective playing left field, right? Center field, right field are really the moneymaker uh, defensive position. So if he's... I was going to say, I got news for you. Uh, it's not yeah. like the center fielder and the right fielder are healthy too often Good at times. So, I mean, there is a this chance is he's going to be out there quite a bit. This is very true. And I, I think, you know, in some respects, Kevin Kiermaier is still, I think, a better defensive player, center fielder at least, than Varsho, especially on balls hit in front of him. But, you know, Varsho's first step and his ability to read balls and make plays on, on tough – you know, drives into the gap or whatever, that's a strong suit that he has. And, you know, I, we watched a lot of Rymel Tapia last year and, and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Teoscar Hernandez absolutely butcher baseballs and take horrible routes and have just not much in the tank in any respect in terms of saving defensive runs or accumulating any positive defensive value. And the Jays now, you know, pound for pound, if those guys can stay healthy, which, like you said, is far from a guarantee, profile is one of the better defensive outfielders in in baseball and in all the majors. And like I think George Springer in right field, there's the potential for him to be excellent out there. Like center field, he still I thought was pretty solid when he was healthy last year. Uh, it wasn't that frequent that he was able to play center field, but when he was, I thought he was good. And we've seen him in Houston and in small samples in Toronto. Like he made an incredible catch against the Astros last year in right field that saved the game and won a game for them. I think he, as he advances into his 30s, can be a really good defensive right fielder. And, you know, they're in a much better position defensively um, than they were. You know, there's still holes, I think, that need to be addressed in order for them to be at their optimal configuration come opening day. But up until this point, you know, after a silent winter meetings, I've been relatively satisfied I'm not blown away by any means, but I think they've done a pretty solid job in terms of improving some areas of the roster that clearly needed to be improved. Just one more thought on the outfield defense, and and that is, you know, we talked about the, um, you know, ban on the shift, of course, as far as infield goes. But I think of last year where the Blue Jays shifted their outfield, I think, more than any team yeah. in Major League Baseball. And I imagine part of that was because you had two guys in the corners that uh, did not cover much ground. So you needed to make sure you were in the right spots. I think it'll be really interesting to see now with Varsho, Kiermaier specifically, uh, and Springer that can go still go and get it, you know, how often the Blue Jays are going to shift. I'm not saying they're going to play everyone straight up every single time or that they're, you know, never going to play four outfielders like we've seen before. But I just wonder now, like maybe they have more trust that those guys um, specifically can just go and get it that we're not going to see, you know, balls just randomly landing like in the corners because they're shifted way over or something and playing uh, the tendencies. So I, I think that's something to uh, keep an eye on, but when it comes to Varsho and, and the bats, you know, adding Kiermaier, uh his lefty bat is, eh, it's not great. Like he's not a great hitter by any means. Varsho, as we mentioned, 
uh, can mash uh, right-handed pitching. But looking at this uh, batting order now without Teoscar Hernandez as a middle-of-the-order guy, uh, Lourdes Goriel Jr. was kind of in that 6-7 hole where he was at his best. But how are you shaping this up now with uh, Varsho in the mix and, and looking at you know righty uh, pitchers on the mound or, or even lefty pitchers on the mound? Well, I think... You know, your right-handed lineup is pretty solid, right? You're going to probably have some configuration of Springer, Bichette, Vladdy, Kirk, Chapman, Varsho, Jansen. You know, like to me, entering the season, Whit Merrifield's the second baseman. Like I'm I'm not anointing Santiago Espinal as the second baseman because he was an all-star. Whit Merrifield closed the season stronger. Espinal kind of faded. I'm giving Merrifield the first crack uh, at second base. And then, you know, if Kevin Kiermaier is your number nine hitter against right-handed pitching, uh, playing center field, that's pretty good. L- against lefties is a different story because, you know, Varsho is going to play some against lefties. Kiermaier is probably going to play some against lefties, but it's not ideal. You don't want these guys who are just basically black holes against left-handed pitching. And the Jays weren't all that great against lefties last year, considering how many uh, prodigious right-handed sluggers they have in their lineup. They didn't, they weren't bad, but they should have been better. And I think it just underscores the need for another bat, another right-handed bat who can come in preferably a fourth outfield type um, that can be decent defensively, but the primary objective is to come in and do damage against left-handed pitching. And there are some options out there, you know, depending on what your preference is. You know, there's Trey Mancini, there's A.J. Pollock, there's Andrew McCutcheon. Um, I, I think I'm missing, uh, you know, Grossman. there's Adam Duvall. Yeah, Robbie Grossman. None of those guys are are really moving the needle in a tremendous way, but especially considering, like we talked about, the injury um, possibilities, if not likelihood, when it comes to some guys in the outfield, you need another option out there that, can come in 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 a bind and give you at least league average play out there. And I think some of those guys are capable and it's just a question of who's most open to taking a fourth outfield role with no guaranteed assurances of a set number of at bats or games played barring injury. And that could be, you know, limiting your options uh, to some extent uh, in terms of who might be able to be attracted on a one-year deal, most likely. Yeah, you mentioned A.J. Pollock, and that is sort of the guy that fits the mold perfectly, but the problem is uh, I'm sure that guy wants to play as much as he can. Like, he got almost 600 ABs last year. Like, I can't see him wanting to just cut that in half to come play a fourth outfield role for the Blue Jays. Like, you know, I think maybe an Adam Duvall might be a better fit there. Uh, Maybe Andrew McCutcheon at this stage of his career maybe just wants to chase a ring. You know, he can step in there, but I think – for me, ideally, someone that can play a little bit first base as well. Like, I know Whit Merrifield can play first base. I know uh, Kevin Biggio can as well. But, you know, I think if you could find someone that's, you know, a first base uh, outfielder type from the right side, that would be interesting. Uh, you mentioned Trey Mancini, but that's another guy. I'm not sure that he, you know, wants to step into a part-time role. 
you know, he came from Baltimore to Houston, um, had to play a bit of a part-time role, of course, because of the Astros and, and the depth that they had. But you would think that guy wants to, you know, find a full-time role again to, you know, make the most that he can moving forward here um, in his uh, 30, uh, heading into his 30s. So, um, you know, it's a difficult spot for the Blue Jays. There's plenty of names out there. Just unfortunately, not a ton of them are, you know, too sexy or jump off the page. But you're looking at fourth outfielder types you know, right now. And I think Whit Merrifield, you know, might be that fourth outfield guy against lefties that kind of bounces all over the place. Sure. He's the starting second baseman, but you know, you would think Santiago Esmol still going to get in there and get his fair share, you know, Kevin Biggio um, as well. So there's going to be a lot of opportunity uh, for the three of those guys to get into game action and they're kind of moving all over the place. But um, you know, with the way the things are structured right now, uh, the Blue Jays seemingly need someone that can swing it from the the right side against lefties. I think that will help, but you could also go the other way and say, you know, a Brandon belt type or someone that can swing it from the left side uh, off the bench would, would also be, you know, just as good. So there are a, a few things left on the uh, Blue Jays offseason wish list, which we'll uh, get to momentarily because uh, people chimed in on Twitter. But moving to the pitching side of things, they, uh, of course, uh, made their move with Chris Bassett going to fit into this rotation as the perfect number three maybe even number four depending on uh, Jose Barrios and a potential uh, bounce back there but looking at this fifth spot you know Yusei Kikuchi Mitch White they're going to be competing you know Ross Atkins has mentioned those guys as uh, two players that are going to be battling for a rotation spot but you know Johnny Cueto's name has been out there I know Corey Kluber was a guy that uh, a lot of people uh, wanted and ultimately uh, where he go Boston I think signing uh, with the Red Sox so he's uh, off the table but you know there are um, some pitchers out there still that could fill that role I don't think you need upside to be honest I think you just need a guy that can come in and give you consistent innings if he's putting up a four and a half ERA you're going to absolutely love it. You just don't want to have to go in, I think, with the volatility or the you know multiple ranges of outcomes that you know currently you say Kikuchi and Mitch White are you know providing you uh, heading into 2023. Well, and you just need to fortify that depth a little bit, right? You know, injuries are going to happen. The likelihood of uh, somebody getting hurt in the rotation at some point uh, over the season is relatively high, and then it's. You know, there's a situ is there a situation where both White and Kikuchi are in the rotation? That would be the case right now. And you know, that is unacceptable. You just cannot have that. If you fancy yourself a team that is capable of contending for the World Series, you know, like I don't want to see Thomas Hatch starting baseball games anymore. That ship has sailed. It's not happening. You know, I know some people have been kind of banging the drum, you know, Bowden Francis has had a nice winter performance. Like he's going to be 27 years old. Is Bowden Francis going to just suddenly emerge as a major league starter quality? I'm not betting on that. Maybe as a reliever, but as a starter, no. And then there's just, there's not enough guys who are close to the major league level. Like, uh, you know, the dream is that Ricky Tiedemann comes up and, and is able to just have a Manoa like, impact but he's not even 21 years old Manoa's older you know a little bit more polished college college pitcher had success maybe that is something that works out maybe it isn't I, I'm not rushing Ricky Tiedemann though like uh, let him do his thing and and uh, you know make sure he's as ready as he's gonna be when you eventually make that call so I just think you have to augment 
that rotation in some way. And I agree with you. It doesn't need to be some earth shattering type of move. There are some scrubby guys out there, you know, Wade Miley, I wouldn't be great. You know, Mike Miner, I think Michael Walker is probably going to want too much money. Dylan Bundy's out there. Chad Cool is out there. You know, somebody tweeted at me that uh, Anibal Sanchez on a minor league deal. I would say no thank you to that. Oof, pass. But there, there are guys out there that uh, that can come in. And, you know, Chris, I think yeah, it wouldn't be great, but I, I do think Chris Archer would be an interesting option in that situation. He's not, you know, you don't necessarily guarantee him a spot. But he comes in, he's got the inside track, he has a good spring, he's your fifth guy, you bump Kikuchi to the bullpen, and you figure out what to do with White, because he doesn't have options, and, like, do you really see this front office just, you know, DFAing him and losing him for nothing when they gave up a legit prospect, potentially, in Frasso for him? It's a tough spot, because I, I still do think that Mitch White has something. I, I-, I wouldn't be hesitant to just abandon ship on him because I do think that that could in theory uh, come back to bite you in the ass. Yeah, I think so as well. And, you know, kind of reminds me to the situation when Ross Stripling came in and we're not saying Mitch White is Ross Stripling, but when that deal was made, Stripling came in and wasn't particularly good. And people were wondering why the hell did you get this guy? And then fast forward a couple of years later and everybody's in love with Ross Stripling and some people are wishing that he came back. So, you know, things can change. Uh, pretty quickly um, for, you know, someone that comes into a new situation. Um, You know, it started well for Mitch White, like his first three or so outings were like decent. And then just everything fell um, off the rails. It went off the rails for him pretty quickly. And then everybody jumped ship. Um, But yeah, he's a a guy that they felt um, like they wanted to add. And uh, I can't imagine that they're just going to cut bait after, you know, half a season of performance after coming over in a deadline deal. So, you know, he's someone to keep an eye on for sure in spring training. Um, I think if he has a good spring training, you know, he's definitely going to be uh, in the mix for uh, a roster spot, whether it's a long man, a swing man, uh, or maybe he does outright win that uh, fifth spot in the rotation. But you know, I think it could be a situation as well, instead of, you know, maybe going straight to a guy like a Johnny Cueto or, you know, someone of that ilk and guaranteeing the, the fifth spot. Like you said, it's sort of just, you know, signing guys to minor league deals, signing some vets, give them a shot in spring training. And if they can win a spot, then great. If not, then you just try to, you know, figure it out on the fly. It's not, you know, the best way to go about it. But, you know, I just think, as you said, uh, you know, if Mitch White or Yusei Kikuchi um, really shows out in spring training, but you've already given an opportunity to, you know, Chris Archer signing him to a major league deal for, you know, eight, nine million dollars and he sucks ass in spring training. Well, then what do you do? Right. Like then you're in a tough spot because you already guaranteed this guy a big contract, but you've got two other guys that are outperforming him. Then that's not exactly, you know, the greatest yeah. outcome there. Yeah. Like there's there's definitely risk to handing you know, a guy on the relative scrap, he potentially like, let's say somewhere between seven and $12 million. I I think that's probably on the high end of things, but yeah, like none of these guys are slam dunks that are going to necessarily come in and have success. Johnny Cueto would be fun, but Johnny Cueto could also stink major ass if he comes in uh, to the AL East. Like there was a little bit of a smoke and mirrors, feeling to what he did last year i don't know if that's necessarily something that you can bank on happening again and 
I'm I, I probably in the vast minority. I wouldn't be blown away if Kikuchi has success. Like it, there's just too the stuff is just still too good. Maybe he's better served just focusing on throwing two pitches uh, as a reliever. And honestly, if that is his calling card and that's his future, and he's making whatever it is, I I know the contract structure paid him up front more money. It's still at least ten million uh, the last couple of years, and he's a good reliever. You'd take that for ten to twelve million dollars. That wouldn't be the worst outcome in the world. And the Jays could use another good left-hander in the bullpen because last I checked, they still only have Tim Mesa, and you know Tim Mesa has his positive traits but as we saw against the mariners you know there are some issues there as well so it's not some guaranteed situation that's going to work out if you sign one of these free agents you know a veteran type all right let's move on to the uh, twitter questions at dfa underscore pod where uh, we'll touch on a little bit more of the uh, wish list items we'll get to the bullpen as well uh, our buddy josh Housem says uh, his wish list one of grossman mancini mccutcheon or pollock one of belt or i believe it's seth brown he just said brown but i'm guessing that's who it is uh, zach Britton. he says give me that trio and i'm calling the division for the jays Okay, you got to explain to me the the Zach Britton thing because a lot of people have thrown his name out there. He's a guy that's coming off uh, injury, of course, only threw two thirds of an inning last year for the Yankees. Uh, they were terrible innings, uh, and even the year before, you know, he was banged up too, but had a five eight nine ERA uh, with New York. I know he's a guy that has that bowling ball sinker. He's uh, got obviously a lot of uh, experience as a back end of the bullpen guy. And you mentioned the Blue Jays are looking for that second lefty. But when I see, you know, guys like Andrew Chafin uh, available available out on free agency, or even, you know, a guy like a, a Will Smith, a Matt Moore, like, I guess Zach Britton can be had on the cheap. So he's not going to cost you very much. But I just wonder, you know, is there just too much risk, like with a, with a guy like him coming off injury and underperformance? Like I, I've seen a lot of people throw out that name. So are you team Zach Britton? Or- or are you kind of like me and just don't really get it? I am not team Zach Britton. I, I have seen a lot of it. You know, he was good in 2019. He was good in 2020. Yeah, like his strikeout numbers are very pedestrian. You know, I know he throws relatively hard. Uh, well, not so much the last couple of years. If he's throwing 93 as opposed to 95, that's problematic. And you know, with the Jays defense, a guy who relies on on ground balls uh, isn't the worst thing in the world. And, you know, his ground ball rate for his career is like 67%. I want a little bit more juice in, in, in the bullpen. Matt Moore has his flaws. Like, is he going to be able to manage walks well enough to have success? Maybe not. But I just feel as though his stuff, you know, will, will provide easier outs. Like, he'll be able to rack up a few more strikeouts uh, than Zach Britton. Like he had a K per nine over 10 last year, walk, walk per nine of over four and a half the last, each of the last years, somewhat disconcerting, but if he can, you know, be a, a three ERA type of pitcher, which is what some of his peripherals said he was last year, you would take that. And yeah, I would go for Matt Moore over Zach Britton. There's too many injury concerns with Britton. He's 35, losing velo, strikeouts. It's just too many things need to go right in my mind for Zach Britton to really pan out as a high leverage reliever. I just don't see it. 
And, and look, uh, this is sort of counterintuitive because, you know, the old baseball adage is that, you know, you'd rather have a starting pitcher that can give you 150 plus quality innings uh, for the same amount of money as opposed to giving, you know, a, a reliever that's going to throw a third of that for the, the same price. But, you know, I'm starting to wonder now if maybe the best way for the Blue Jays to go about this is to, you know, go out and get one of these free agent relievers. Uh, I know Liam Hendricks is a name that people have thrown out there um, at this stage. I'm not sure what kind of trade chips that the Blue Jays would have to make a deal for the White Sox there because I thought Danny Jansen might have been a, would would have been a fit, um, but obviously that's not going to happen because he's now their uh, backup catcher behind Alejandro Kirk with the move of uh, Gabby Moreno. But you know when I look at those names, you mentioned it, Matt Moore. I mentioned before Andrew Chafin. Um, you know I look at uh, guys like Michael Fulmer or you know, uh, Alex Reyes, you know, a guy that maybe had on like a minor league deal coming off an injury. Like there's still a lot of intriguing relievers more though, more so than there are starters that I wonder, you know, maybe that's the market that you try to play in, um, to shorten games as opposed to, you know, looking for that veteran fifth starter that can maybe give you, you know, 120 decent innings. Yeah, I think it's an interesting, uh, thought exercise. Like, uh, I think Corey Knebel, could be an interesting type of uh, option. He has ninth inning experience. I know he struggled last year, had some injuries, um, but I, I think that could be something uh, that you look at a little bit. You know, somebody like a Chad Green coming off of injuries, but has had uh, a large sample size of high end results in big spots, pitching out of the Yankees bullpen. There are guys out there. Like I, I know a Roldis Chapman is out there. Absolutely not sickening to even think of the possibility of that happening i if you want to roll this chapman on the blue jays you know take a look in the mirror no thank you but i i do think that they need another piece in the bullpen it's not bad as currently constructed you know i i think the addition of swanson certainly helps and your core four of romano swanson garcia bass is pretty good but then there are question marks you know maza simber Richards, like I, I, I wouldn't be upset if you got rid of Trevor Richards and brought in somebody who can be a little bit more consistent. And like, maybe you look at is a Simber trade a possibility. I think there's some potential dominoes that could be still in play that could topple over in certain directions that uh, have the bullpen looking different than it is currently constructed. All right, getting to a few more tweets here. Matt says, one of Grossman, Cutchin, Pollock, one of Mancini belts for DH bench and outfield. He's the one that threw Liam Hendricks' name out there. Danny says, a right-handed bat that can play corner outfield and maybe first base, a fifth starter, and uh, another high-leverage arm for the pen. Uh, one of the names I've been seeing people throw out here, Jerickson Profar, you know, is a guy that can kind of play all over the diamond. But again, like I think what Merrifield can do that. And if you're pro far, you're probably looking for more playing time than the Blue Jays can offer. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that that fit really um, works there. But yeah, people are all over Andrew McCutcheon. And I guess maybe that's a name that I haven't put too much thought uh, into, but you know, he does fit the outfield mold. It's just, uh, again, it's how much playing time are you open to giving him and how much playing time does a guy like that, that want? So it's an interesting name would be cool. He's obviously got a ton of personality. He's one of the you know greatest players of this generation. Uh, and it would be pretty sweet to see him kind of reminds me of like Curtis Granderson when Granderson yeah. came to the blue Jays and, you know, had a lot of impact on and off the field, of course, but, uh, yeah, it's, it'd be great. I just don't know if it, it really works. Yeah, I, I I do wonder what his priorities are at this point of his career. You know, he had his 
really his worst season last year. He's below league average as an offensive player, just slightly, but he didn't have a great year. You know, does he want to really be on a winning team or is he content to land on like maybe he goes back to the Pirates, finishes his career there, plays every day or close to it, puts up some decent numbers and, you know, goes full circle. But he strikes me as the type of guy who is competitive and wants to win. And, you know, maybe the Jays can sell him on a role that gives him 110 or 115 games. Cause I, I don't think Andrew McCutcheon should be playing 140 games anymore. I just think he's at that stage of his career where he's more of a part-time situational player. And if you put him in the right role on the right team, I do still think that there's uh, the ability to make some impact and for him to have a, a positive influence on your entire organization, really. Uh, definitely a lot uh, left for the Blue Jays to figure out in this offseason, and uh, maybe they still have some more big moves in store. But as always, you can get us on Twitter at jgoldberg12, at robwong384, and at DFA underscore pod. Make sure to like, review, and subscribe to the pod wherever you get your favorite podcast. For Josh Goldberg, I'm Rob Wong. Thanks for tuning in. This has been the Designated for Assignment podcast.